and yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, and perhaps I'm reluctant to say this because I, I, I mean, hopefully, what this will, what will emerge from this, uh, the kind of next few minutes is the fact that actually, how core engaging in issues of justice, how core engaging with social justice, how, how core developing disciplines of mercy and justice is to any meaningful discipleship. So do not hear from the fact that we are looking at from a discipline from a social justice angle that in some ways we are trying to put us things in silos and say, oh, well, one week we're going to do the Bible and one week we're going to do evangelism and the next week we'll do social justice. They are different prisms through which we approach the one truth that is Jesus Christ. So with that said, uh, can we throw up the first slide, please? When I was preparing the talk and thinking about justice, I came across this quote uh, from Walter Brueggemann, which, I, which struck me. Uh, it, he writes, Every totalitarian regime is frightened of the artist. I wonder how you, what you think of that, how you react to it, uh, if you can make sense of it. Uh, I suppose what struck me uh, was the idea that the artist in always articulating something new in beginning to imagine something else is always a threat to the status quo, is always a threat to the thing that is trying to maintain itself, uh, the dominant culture, the uh, totalitarian system. I'm reminded of the Czech dissident uh, Václav Havel, uh, who was uh, a playwright and involved in kind of avant-garde theatre and then also rose to prominence in uh, our kind of in campaigning uh, against uh, the Soviet Union, uh, he wrote a very uh, powerful essay called uh, "The Power of the Powerless," where he talks about the fact that simply the step of being a dissident is simply to refuse to live in the lie, so to recognise what is true and to live in response to that truth, rather than in response to what everything around you is telling you is true when it is not. Uh, and so the invitation this evening as we think about discipleship is well how can we begin to train to be that kind of artist to, be, to join in with God's co-creative work to join in with God's artistry how do we get to that place where we are beginning to envisage the fact that another world is possible last week Graham began looking at the theme of uh, discipline by drawing a link between discipline and discipleship about the fact that discipline is core to the formation of you as a person and that the, the direction and orientation of your desire. And how, and touched on the fact that this, this is a strange idea, the fact that discipline, doing stuff, and potentially, if you, you could hear it in one way, of being a bit legalistic, and the uh, identity of yourself as a disciple, the, the status of being a follower of Jesus, the relationship between the two. So we'll begin to unpack that a bit more this evening. Another Walter Brueggemann quote that struck me was this. The task of prophetic ministry is to evoke an alternative consciousness. In, very, in a similar way, he is talking, he's drawing on very similar ideas that he did previously the idea is that what we have to do as the church, what we have to do as prophets, as people that point to Jesus Christ, is some way say, another world is possible. And the question then is, well, if we're in this world, how do we begin to 
persuade ourselves, never mind other people, that another world is possible. And the headline point from this evening, if you take nothing else away, is that actually discipline is core to this, because if we want to live, if we want to point to the fact that another world is possible, then the best way of doing that is to live as if another world is possible. The best way to point to the fact that God is real is to live as if God were real, and people will see by that testimony whether or not he is. So when we're thinking about discipline, when we're thinking about living out for justice, it is a question of which story are we living in? What are we testifying to as true? Are we testifying to a world of competition, of scarcity, of animosity, of isolation? Or are we testifying to something else? How do we get to that point? I work uh, a couple of days a week uh, heading up the community organizing work in St. John's and helping engage uh, other institutions around Hoxton in community organizing. And when I was thinking about this, what does it look like to disciple, disciple, kind of breed discipleship in a way that points to this other world? This quote, often used by community organizers, resonated with me. They, in, in community organizing, we keep on coming back to the idea that all organizing is disorganizing and reorganizing. And I wonder if when we're thinking about discipleship, when we're thinking about discipline, we don't appreciate the fact that discipline is so hard because we are often already discipled. When we come into church and think about discipleship, we often think about it as if we exist in a vacuum, as if all we have to do is choose these particular things, and, but to do these particular things like we can't read our Bible and pray more, and we're struck by how hard they are. And of course, the reason that that is, is because we are already being discipled by the world. We are already formed in ways and taught to act in particular ways. So if we were to reappropriate this quote, perhaps we could say all discipleship is disdiscipling and rediscipling. So my question today is, if we, if we want to talk about how do we get to that point of living as, as if another world is possible, the question first is, what are the practices, what are the disciplines that we have been trained in that we need to undisciple ourselves from? And therefore, what are the things that we can be rediscipled in? To help us think a bit more concretely about this, let us approach uh, a passage of Scripture. As it's Lent, I thought we could look at the start of Matthew 3, Jesus being led out into the desert. So if you have Bibles, uh, do please find Matthew 3. I don't know what page it is in the church Bibles. Uh, I'm sorry, 967. Wonderful, thank you. And I will read that out. It's all right, Matthew 4, uh, 1 to 10. I shall read that out for you. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor and said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. When I was reading that this week, I was struck by, by the start of the passage the bit in which the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. That that just strikes me as very strange because we have this idea that the Holy Spirit will lead us into good things, will teach us how to walk in the way of God, and yet it seems that he's pushing Jesus' button specifically and leading him into a place where where he's going to be tempted I wonder if that's challenging your view of what it is to follow Jesus, is the fact that sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you into the desert, will lead you into the wilderness, will lead you into the place to be tempted, precisely so that you can confront that temptation, precisely so that you can begin to unpick the, thing, the, the stories and the lies that you are living in, that you can begin to unpick your desires and choose another way. In thinking about this passage a bit more, I want to ask uh, how we might develop two kinds of disciplines. Disciplines of discernment, and what I'm going to call disciplines of disruption. So first of all, let's look at how Jesus uh, develops disciplines of discernment, because he goes out into the desert to do this. First of all, we might ask, why the desert? Well, I think the simple answer is, because it's quiet. There is a long history in Scripture of God leading his people out into the desert to do things with them, to form them in particular ways. Perhaps most famously, when Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt, they have to spend a long time in the desert. Why? Because they may have escaped Egypt, but it's evident from the way in which they ask Moses for things and ask God for things that they haven't escaped the Egyptian way of thinking. They constantly ask Moses uh, for food and say, oh, it's, it would be better if we just died, if, if we'd been in Egypt, because at least they fed us rather than died here. So they are led out into the desert to relearn, to be undiscipled in the way of Egypt, where you are given food, but you are slaves, and to be rediscipled into a more precarious provision, a way in which you are given food, but you have to trust You are taught to depend on God. So Jesus seems to go out into the desert for perhaps not identical reasons because he is without sin, but certainly to confront similar temptations. And I want to suggest today that he goes out into the desert and we might be encouraged to go out into the desert, into wilderness places, because it is there we can hear Satan and it is there we can hear how we respond to Satan. Because what I want to suggest is that we live in a society, we live in uh, cultures where the devil and sin and temptation and the brokenness of the world is very much at work. But because of all the noise, because of all the distraction, we don't hear what they're saying. We don't hear actually the, the, the lies and the things that they are articulating. So by stepping out into the desert, what we can do is remove all the distractions and actually engage 
with the story that Satan is telling us. And then we can respond, and we can watch how we respond. So, I want to suggest that, well, in the passage we see three times, three movements. We see the Satan identify a desire of Jesus. We see Satan tell his version of the story, so perhaps the demonic story. And then we see Jesus uh, ground that bit of the story that Satan is telling in a deeper story. And in each part of the text, Satan tries a different angle, tries to talk in its, about a slightly different need of Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus does have needs. Jesus, well, Jesus does have desires, certainly, because he is human. And those desires are desires often common to the human experience. So I would say perhaps in verse 3 and 4, we see uh, a desire for preservation. So, you know, you need food, you need to eat, you're famished. In verses 5 to 7, we see an engagement about recognition. So that Satan is saying, throw yourself uh, off, uh, off the temple, and then when the angels pick you up, people will recognize you as the Son of God. And finally, we see, perhaps at the end, uh, a discussion about Jesus' desire for meaning, and, saying, and Satan offering him power and position, but also he's offering something to worship. And I wonder, when we're thinking about discipline, are we building into our lives spaces where we can be attentive to what the world and the devil is telling us about our own identity, about where we place value from, about what we... Uh, where we get our preservation, where we get recognition, where we might find meaning. Uh, I was struck reflecting on this passage, the ways in which I... I mean, I think I, I, I've been reflecting over the last few days that something that I need to be attentive to is that attentive, more attentive to the way in which I'm using my money, and that because I'm paying perhaps insufficient attention to it, the, the things that, by that act... I'm proclaiming to be true. I'm perhaps I am in perhaps not. Thinking, I need to think more carefully about my giving because in not thinking carefully about my giving, I am saying that that I need to worry and hold on, and it's and my survival is dependent on me. And uh, I, I, God can't be trusted with my money, with my resources. But also in not being attentive and thinking carefully about where I'm putting my money. I'm also denying that I have responsibility as a steward of creation and a steward of the talents and, and resources that God has given me. So I am, in those ways, not living as if another world is possible, not li- living as if the kingdom is at hand. And I wonder if we might spend a few minutes, perhaps, in our tables reflecting on, perhaps on those themes or others, where you can see society telling you something about uh, what is true and the way in which that, that affects our lives, so the way in which people live in response to that truth. So another example, I, I've been reflecting on the fact I need to rest more because in not resting more, I am saying thing, everything depends on me 
And I'm also saying, in some ways, that life isn't to be enjoyed because I'm not taking enough time to enjoy the work that I'm doing with God. So spend a few minutes chatting on the tables about practices that perhaps you see in your own life or you see in wider society that speak to something which is untrue and need to be undiscipled, disdiscipled, taken apart. Go for it. Okay, we'll draw that to a close for now. Do continue those conversations after the service. The next thing, that perhaps in response to some of the, the ideas that have been shared, that I want you to do is, and this doesn't have to be something that you do with others, but commit to creating space in the next week where you can do that again. Because it's all very well talking about discipline, but actually this is only going to be useful if, if you do something in response to it, right? So we have just done something which for some people might have been quite unusual on reflecting on how practices speak to what we believe is true and reflecting on our own lives in that way. But perhaps you want to either write down or say to someone that there is going to be a particular time and place this week where you're going to do that again. You're going to think more deeply about the, the things that you hold to be true and the way in which they correspond to the ways in which you are using your time, energy, and your money. And that could be very simple. That could just be saying, on Wednesday on the tube, I'm just going to think about this. It doesn't have... You know, build it into where, what you're already doing. Uh, if you need to. Equally, if you can, make space for it and say, I'm purposely going to set aside some time to think on this. But do think about what, what are the practices that need to be undiscipled, that you have unwittingly picked up from the world that tells you a particular story about who you are, about who other people are, about even who God is. Secondly, we need to develop disciplines of disruption. Jesus confronts the devil. I wonder how comfortable we are with confronting people. Particularly when, when all the things that the devil offers are about comfort, and Jesus says, no. And he pushes on. And he says, that is untrue. And he, he has to engage with being, being hungry, still being unrecognized, still not being worshipped as he should be. But the beautiful thing about verse 11 that someone in the last week or so pointed out to me is the fact that, so in, that the devil promises angels... But Jesus fights the devil, and angels come. If you notice in verse 11, angels come suddenly when the devil goes and care for him. So in this confrontation, when you step up and say, I'm going to choose another way of life, a way that is hard, a way that is, it involves confrontation with the world, 
There will be care. God will send, angels will send his presence to comfort you. And that doesn't mean that it won't be messy. doesn't mean it'll be easy. But it means you will get angels. It means when you perhaps think more carefully about where, where you're buying things from and what you're buying, that, that will be inconvenient. You perhaps can't go to the same shops or the same online retailers that you were previously. And that, that will be hard, and that is an inconvenience. We need to own that. But there will be something at the end of it which you say, okay, I understand why, why that's good for me. I perhaps get a, a, a feel a new sense of significance in the clothes I wear because actually I've had to fight for them. And they, they speak to the truth of God as carer and creator and uh, you know, standing up for those in slavery. Or perhaps when you're thinking about giving, you, it's hard because you, are think, you perhaps need to give more and that, that means that you are in a more precarious place. But you can also be led into a place where you are trusting him more and you also feel more invested in the communities into which you're giving. So perhaps you feel more invested in this church or you feel more invested in a particular cause. So there is care. There, is, there are angels at the end of the confrontation. But obviously a lot of what we're talking about when we talk about discipleship in this passage happened previously. Because Jesus spent years learning scripture. He spent years knowing what is true. Then out of that place, when he's pushed on it, he's able to say no. This is what is the case. This is what's true. This is who God is. This is how I should respond to God. So we might like the... In some, some of us, might, I quite like the glamour of the confrontation. I quite like the idea that I'm to be like Jesus and kind of confront things and kind of argue with the devil. The problem is perhaps I'm not willing to put the work in to get to a point where when the devil comes, I'm ready to confront him. So where are the places that you are practicing arguing, conf- confronting the world so that when it really hits, when it really gets difficult, you're ready. Are you waiting around for some big bust up whereas actually God's saying, come on, practice now, give it a go you, in small, obscure ways, but give it a go because I can use that in other spheres. What we need is disciplines that take us deeper, deeper into God's truth. That yes, develop a posture of confrontation where we're willing to say, no, that's not right, and oppose it, oppose evil. But also an awareness where we are and a saturation of God's truth so that we know what we're speaking for, not simply what we're speaking against. So again, I ask, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? A sermon series on discipline could potentially be the biggest waste of time in the world, but it's a lot of talk about something which has nothing to do with talk. 
So is it that you need to perhaps think about where, where you're spending your money like me? Is it that you need to think about resting more? Because I think that's a, such an important discipline, particularly to social justice. To avoid burnout. To avoid thinking that it's all about us rather than God. Are there other things that, as I'm speaking, you're saying, actually, no. I, I need to reorientate myself in this. What are you going to do? What are you going to commit to? How is this week going to be different? How in this week are you going to develop disciplines which develop you as a disciple, which allow you to point to the fact that another world is possible? What does it mean to live as if another world is possible in a society which tells us very coherently and consistently, well, maybe not coherently, but consistently, that it isn't. How can we support each other? How can we support ourselves in banding together and saying, no, there is something else. There is something else. Why don't we spend a few minutes in silence reflecting on this or if you've found this very boring something else that you might find more useful to reflect on and then in a few minutes Graham will come up and lead us in some songs of response Amen